Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Hello, this is Matthew Vizay, Associate Editor with Natural Gas Intelligence. In this installment of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast, we're going to hear from Dustin Meyer, Vice President of Natural Gas Markets with the American Petroleum Institute. I recently spoke with Dustin to discuss a variety of topics, including growing global demand for natural gas, something that seems especially prescient nowadays with tensions between Russia and Ukraine, as well as how he sees the U.S. natural gas market evolving over the next year or so. So, without further ado, here's my pre-recorded conversation with Dustin Meyer, Vice President of Natural Gas Markets at API. Just looking at the overall natural gas market, what do you see as the, I guess, the top energy policy and pandemic-related market drivers these days? Sorry, there's a lot of sirens going on outside my window here. The thing that we've learned on the natural gas side the most, I think, is just how sticky natural gas demand is. You saw the depths of the pandemic demand for certain commodities, including crude oil, fall precipitously. Uh That wasn't the case for natural gas. Uh, You know, 2020 and 2021, you saw gas demand fall a little bit, but really not that much. And now you see gas demand actually quite strong. And that's why you're seeing the price response that you have. So I think coming through the pandemic, as we get back into normal, you know, the pace of things, I think that you can really view the last few years as an aberration and going forward more the continuation of the longstanding trend, which is that around the world, demand for natural gas is growing. And so I think that from a policy perspective, all of our decarbonization policies need to reflect that. They need to have an accurate understanding of just how robust gas demand is. I think you're seeing that in the United States, of course, but probably even more acutely, you're seeing that around the world right now. The prices that the Europeans are paying for natural gas, the prices that major Asian importers are paying for natural gas, I mean, you're talking above $30 per MMBTU. Those are record high prices. Mind you, the prices have been persistent going all the way back till to September or so. That is a very clear and very loud signal that the world needs more gas, not less. And so I think, you know, especially from a major producing country like the United States, I think we need to have policies that really recognize that the world needs more gas and recognize that if that is indeed the case, then it's very, very good that the United States be the ones who are producing that gas. Okay. Kind of just to follow up on one of your a point you made a moment ago about kind of looking at the disparity between the, you mentioned the stickiness of gas demand versus oil demand. What do you attribute that to? Just kind of how the volatility has just been different. Well, I think it gets down to the fundamentals of how the two commodities are used. You know, the primary source of demand for crude oil is for transportation. And I think everybody, as we all remember, especially in the depths of the pandemic in 2020, there wasn't a lot of travel. People weren't even traveling in their cars. They certainly weren't traveling in airplanes. And therefore, the overall demand for crude oil and gasoline and diesel fell fairly dramatically. In contrast, natural gas, you know, the primary use of natural gas 
is for power generation as well as residential heating. That, you know, people were still home. They were still turning on their lights. It still got cold in the winter and people still needed heat. So the demand just in this instance, it is just more resilient to changing cultural circumstances than what crude oil is. Okay. To kind of segue a bit to a point you also made about kind of how maybe the past few years, how gas demand has been sort of been an aberration. How do you see the gas market evolving in the U.S., you know, over the next year or next few years? Yeah, I think that when I say the last two years was an aberration, and, and my observation was that throughout the pandemic and the depths of the pandemic, while demand itself for natural gas was fairly resilient, mm-hmm. prices did fall, right? So we had record low natural gas prices in the United States. We also had record low natural gas prices around the world. You know, in Europe, natural gas prices fell to around $2 per MMBTU. That was a record. I didn't think that TTF prices could ever go that low. Because those prices were so low, you actually had, for example, some cargoes in the United States of LNG that were curtailed, that they weren't exported. My observation was at the depths of that, there was a lot of commentary in the media and perhaps some policymakers who viewed that as a evidence that, see, the world is moving on from natural gas. The world doesn't need natural gas. That's why we're seeing all of these low prices. That's why we don't need to continue making new investments in gas infrastructure. That's what I'm saying was an aberration. And I think now, 18 months later, when you see the pricing dynamic is 180 degrees the opposite, right? We went from record low prices to record high prices. That, to me, is getting back on the pre-existing trend which was for the last 15 years in the United States, but also around the world, gas demand growth is really quite robust. Mm -hmm. LNG demand growth is even more robust, right? So I suspect that what we saw from a pricing perspective was a couple of pandemic years where demand was maybe a little flattish. Now going forward, we're going to get back on a trajectory where demand is pretty strong. And to me, that means that we are going to need to continue to make these investments in gas infrastructure. And I think the United States is the best opportunity to make those investments. We have a clear and consistent permitting process. We have an enormous resource base. We're well positioned to provide natural gas to countries around the world, you know, to Asia just as well, to Europe. So I think that that's a big, you know, a big of how it's going to evolve. I think a lot of it is going to get back into this trajectory of strong demand growth. What that means for the U.S. gas market specifically, you know, I think that we will remain the world's largest producer of natural gas. Right now we're by far the largest producer of natural gas. That will continue. Going forward, you know, for the last 10 years in the United States, a lot of the demand growth for U.S. natural gas has come from the U.S. power sector, right? Namely, lower prices of natural gas has allowed us to displace coal in the power sector. Natural gas used to be 20% of the portfolio of generation in the United States. Now it's up to almost 40%. Coal has done pretty much the opposite. That was the biggest chunk of growth. I think going forward, realistically, you're not going to see nearly as much growth in the power sector. It is still important for folks to remember that coal still makes up about 20% of power generation in the United States. 
when you talk decarbonization policy with a lot of policymakers, in my opinion, sometimes the conversation proceeds as if coal has always been eliminated, and therefore the emissions benefits of natural gas as a means to displace coal no longer really exist. And that's just not the case. There's still a lot of coal left on the system, even here in the United States. Regardless, I think that there's probably not going to be as much demand growth for U.S. natural gas coming out of the U.S. power sector. I think instead, a lot of the demand growth is going to come from export markets. We already export a tremendous amount of natural gas via pipeline to Mexico. I expect those exports to absolutely continue. But, of course, now we've become such a major LNG exporter as well. And that allows U.S. gas production to tap into that demand growth that you're seeing around the world, especially in the major Asian economies. That's where demand growth is the strongest. And I think that U.S. LNG is going to meet that demand growth or play a big role in meeting that demand growth. And that, in turn, is what is going to drive so much of the market development for natural gas here in the United States. It's, it's really a switch from the power sector in the United States being the biggest opportunity to the export markets being the biggest opportunity. Okay. Now, I'm glad you kind of went into the LNG side. First off, with LNG, what are some policy measures that could help to support that growth of the U.S. in its role as an exporter? In my mind, I think the number one thing that the current administration or the current Congress could do is to reiterate in a clear way and without equivocation that the United States is going to remain a large and reliable exporter of LNG. That has been the clear and consistent policy, not just of the previous administration, but of the administration before that. Mm -hmm. Very important to remember that it was the Obama administration who first permitted U.S. LNG export projects. The Obama administration firmly understood and believed in the value proposition of U.S. LNG, not only as a geostrategic and geopolitical force, but also as a means to reduce emissions by displacing coal around the world in the same way that natural gas has displaced coal here in the United States. That was, of course, true with the Trump administration as well. What we've seen to date with the Biden administration is a decidedly different perspective. I think that they're less willing to come out and support in a full-throated way the notion that the U.S. is the world's largest producer of natural gas, that we're soon to be the world's largest exporter of LNG. And you know what? That's a really, really good thing. So I think that is something that the administration could do right now. And I think it's timely, given what Europe is going through as they confront the ongoing crisis between Russia and Ukraine, where energy, specifically natural gas, plays such a big part of that conversation. I think it would be very, very well received by allies around the world for this administration to speak in a clear voice about their commitment to the U.S. as a longstanding exporter of LNG. We can, of course, always have a concrete focus on decarbonization and addressing the risks of climate change. I think LNG can be a part of that, but at least in the media term, you know, I think that there's room for some assurances from the buyers around the world to know that, yes, this administration believes in that value proposition in the same way that the Obama administration did. So I think that that's a real opportunity for them as we go through, you know, as we hopefully navigate successfully the crisis in Europe. I think that that's something that the administration could easily do. 
Europe has certainly been a major destination for U.S. LNG, and increasingly so in the past uh, few months. The prices have certainly reflected that. As you know, the EU recently proposed classifying natural gas as a quote-unquote greening energy investment, along with nuclear. You know, that move certainly would help to secure the role of natural gas, including something, you know, responsibly sourced gas, or RSG, or otherwise certified gas, amid the energy transition. Now, RSG, I'd like to kind of move into that a little bit. Uh, RSG, or certified gas, is still a very nascent market. How do you see it developing further in the next 12 months? Only about two dozen deals have been made uh, so far. How much could we expect to see this ramp up this year? Yeah, it's a very good question. That I'm glad you asked it. I'm very passionate about gas markets and the many kind of components of it. I would say right now, the thing that I'm most excited about is this market-driven rise of interest in responsibly sourced natural gas or differentiated natural gas. You're absolutely right that it's still pretty nascent. I remember the first time we spoke about this within API, it was, you know, a year and a half ago, and nobody really knew what it was. And here we are 18 months later, and you are seeing so many of these platforms develop. You're seeing so many of these firms and producers getting on board with this. I really think that the opportunity here for a vibrant, responsibly sourced gas market is quite profound because what it does is it allows buyers and sellers in a credible way to develop means to ensure that gas really can be part of the low carbon trajectories that they're on. So I think that we're going to see a lot of growth this year. I think you're seeing a tremendous amount of interest on the producer side already. And then I think a lot of the interest is going to come on the buyer side through this year and going forward after that. I think that there's a lot of buyers out there right now who may not even fully understand what RSG fully represents, but once they do, they'll recognize that this is a a tremendous opportunity. So, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of interest here. I think you're going to see a lot of growth in this market. The combination that I'm so excited about is that here in the United States, as you know, the Environmental Protection Agency is going through the process of establishing new methane regulations for new and existing production sites. That is something that API in the industry, we fully support that. And so the combination of having very rigorous, very stringent methane regulation, that kind of sets the baseline, right? And then you have the market-driven development of RSG. I think that that really positions the United States out there among all of the suppliers of natural gas as being at the absolute forefront of producing gas in a way that is as clean as possible and as transparent as possible. And I think that that's a pretty powerful development that we can look forward to this year and going forward. And you read, I mean, all of the companies, including many of our member companies that are getting involved in this space, I mean, these are big, big names. And when they decide to move into a space, they mean to do it in a major way. So I think that's an incredibly exciting opportunity. You could see the value proposition, right? I don't know if you've spoken to any gas buyers, but, you know, I think a lot of the focus initially maybe was on the LNG buyer side. I think if you look back, you remember, you know, whatever it was last year, the year before, I guess it was last year, when there was that purported LNG deal between the United States and France that fell through because of some French concerns over methane. I think that that was 
in many ways, it really kind of kick-started a lot more interest in this. And so I think that the first really primary buy-side um, interest came from the LNG buyers. But now you talk to electric power utilities who know that they need to have natural gas in their portfolio to ensure reliability for the long term, right? They want to build a lot of renewables. They want to build a lot of wind and solar. They recognize that they're probably going to have to limit their coal assets or close down their coal assets, but they know that they're going to need natural gas to maintain reliability, right? The local distribution companies who, you know, supply residential natural gas, they're hearing it from their consumers. It's like they want that natural gas as well. But they also understand that we could do this in a cleaner way. So that, I think, is what's happening as you're seeing this expansion of interest from the LNG buyers, perhaps especially a lot of the European LNG buyers. Now you're seeing a lot of interest from the electric utilities buyers. Now you're seeing some interest on the LDC side. I think that that's really, really exciting and is a sure sign that this market is going to proliferate very swiftly here. Sort of along the lines of that proliferation, the market, do you think we'll see more standardization as to kind of a mutually agreed upon definition of what RSG actually is? And how do you see that being accomplished? I absolutely do suspect that that's the direction that it will go in. To be clear, the development of our of responsibly sourced gas markets is something that API very, very strongly supports. But we're agnostic in terms of what platforms or which purveyors end up being kind of some of the leading entities here. But I do expect that inevitably, yes, as the conversation matures, as the market matures, you probably will see some more standardization and some more everybody kind of focusing and agreeing that these are the core tenants. Because for this to truly be an effective exercise, right, you have to have credibility, not just from the producer side, but even more so from the buyer side. The buyer side has to be able to take this notion of, hey, we're not just buying natural gas, we're buying responsibly sourced natural gas to their stakeholders, right? Be it their consumers, be it their investors, be it their policymakers, you know, right? Their regulating entities. They have to take it to them and it has to be credible. So that's kind of the key component. And I think that the more that the market grows, but the more that it kind of all starts to circle around some key definitional aspects, I think the more credibility that it has. Kind of moving away from the RSG topic, but certainly something along the lines of the whole making gas more environmentally friendly. A word that we're also hearing a lot nowadays is electrification. Mm -hmm. We're also hearing about inflation and prices are going up for everybody, for all manner of things along the supply chain, including materials for batteries, solar panels and, and whatnot. How do you see the natural gas industry, not to mention renewables players as well, navigating the whole inflation issue in the next year or so? So I'll kind of take it into, you know, electrification and inflation. You know, on the electrification side, you know, to be clear, we as an industry, we support efforts to electrify. If we think that that is a meaningful way to reduce emissions, I think electrification in many instances can be a very good thing. Mm -hmm. Where we get more concerned is when you have policies that really mandate electrification and eliminate customer choice entirely. If it's focused on reducing emissions from, say, residential heating, that's fine. 
if instead it's focused on thou shall not use natural gas anymore, natural gas is being banned, you can't even get a natural gas hookup, that's where we really start to get concerned and oppose those sorts of draconian policies. So electrification can be a very good thing. There's a lot of really interesting technologies out there. Electric heat pumps can be a very good solution for a lot of folks in a lot of parts of the country. In some instances, they are a little bit more expensive. In some instances, relying on electricity to heat your home can be a lot more expensive than relying on natural gas. Regardless, we think at its core, this should be up to consumers, not up to policymakers to totally eliminate the use of natural gas. So that's where I see the conversation going on electrification. This is a good thing, but let's make sure that the policy is smart and fair and balanced and recognizes the benefits or the necessity, I should say, of customer choice. In terms of inflation, I think what the world is experiencing with inflation right now, which, you know, a part of that is rising energy prices. I think a lot of consumers and a lot of policymakers are being reminded of just how economically harmful it can be to live in a world where certain commodities, especially energy commodities, get more costly. I think that, as we all know, those higher costs fall particularly heavy on the lowest income groups who, where energy makes a much larger share of their overall budget. And I think that that's all a world, we can all agree that that's a world that we want to avoid. And I think especially in the United States, you don't have to look very far. You just have to look over to Europe and to Asia and see the natural gas prices that they're paying. You know, if you're paying $35 per MMBTU for gas, versus $3.50, which is what you're paying in the United States, that difference is hundreds of dollars per month on your heating bill. I mean, that's really, really dangerous territory, and I think something that we all have to be careful that we avoid as we continue down this road of decarbonization. So I think that inflation is a reminder to consumers, to policymakers, to voters that we all want to decarbonize, but we also want to make sure that energy remains very affordable. And for the last decade in the United States, energy has been really affordable, very affordable, almost entirely as a result of the shale revolution. So it's important that we have clear signals, both from policy and the financial community, that they recognize that that's an important thing to continue as well. You've been listening to my recent conversation with Dustin Meyer, API Vice President of Natural Gas Markets on NGI's Hub and Flow podcast. As Dustin's insights about a particularly hot topic these days, certified natural gas, also appear in the recent NGI article, Differentiated Natural Gas Market Set Poised for a Strong Year. Moreover, you can find the latest natural gas market-related developments amid the ongoing Ukraine-Russia crisis at www.naturalgasintel.com. This is Matthew Vizay. Thank you for joining us. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today.